0: Hello and welcome to my podcast. Do me a favor and subscribe to the John Kahn Report wherever you get your podcasts. And you can subscribe to us on YouTube at Ampire Media, A N P I R E. You should know that by now. It would be much appreciated. Today, I'm joined by USC tight ends coach Zach Hansen, who was the offensive line coach at Tulsa the past two seasons. That means he coached Washington seventh round offensive lineman Chris Paul. He also coached Dallas first round tackle Tyler Smith, and I asked about him too. As far as Paul, we all know that coaches are going to praise their own guys. But Hansen explains why he thinks Paul has a chance to emerge as a real gem in this draft class and why he thinks. Paul will be a starter sooner rather than later. As you know, you can read my work on ESPN.com. Before I play my conversation with Zach Hansen, I want to touch on a couple of topics. Number one, Antonio Gandy-Golden. I would say receiver Antonio Gandy-Golden, except that he's moving to tight end. This is something that's been in the works for a little while, but they wanted him to sign off on it. So there was They wanted to get through some of the early offseason workouts to see how he took to it, see what he thought about it. Well, now it's going to happen. He had put on a good bit of muscle in the offseason. People had seen him. Few people told me how good he looked, how big he looked. So clearly he was ready for such a move. But they wanted to make sure, again, after he'd worked there for a little bit, that he was on board with it. Because if he's not, it would be difficult. The coaches seem genuinely excited about what he's shown thus far. Keep in mind, until we see him in a game, it's hard to know how anybody or he or anybody is really doing. One reason it worked so well for Niles Paul, he was tough. As you, he was tough as you know what. But you saw the mindset as a receiver that he carried to tight end. It's why he could line up in the, as, a, as an on-the-ball tight end or an online tight end and still compete as a blocker. That's what you need. And I still talk about this all the time. When he was a rookie, when he was a receiver as a rookie, he took one corner and drove him 15 yards on a run play, he drove him out of bounds. It was enough that i would go back and watch these games, as you know, and I saw that and I kept rerunning it and rerunning it. And I called my son in, who was playing youth football at the time. I said, if anybody else ever asks you how you need to block as a receiver, this right here is the definition. But it was the mindset that Paul had that allowed him to play, um, go from receiver to tight end after bulking up. So we still have to see that part of it. Gandy Golden apparently has taken enough steps this spring, the coaches feel good about his potential ability to help. Again, so much more to learn. It's not just as much as, oh, run a route from here or here. It's you will have to do, there are different responsibilities in the run game, for example, and you will have to get used to running routes from a different area. But if he can make it, he would give them another athletic tight end whom they can maybe develop at that position. I think it also, when you look at some of the tight ends, they're bringing on Cole Turner. Um, you know, you, you have, you already have John Bates, you have Logan Thomas, who will be back at some point. If Gandy Golden hits, what happens with Samus Reyes? And um, you know, you have Graves, the tight end, um, who is an undrafted free agent, who I know Logan Paulson really likes. So how is that all going to shake out? Will there be room for a guy like Samus Reyes? Well, he can go out there and win a job. It adds a lot more competition and choices, makes it kind of interesting too. So we'll see, um, and they're, and, but they're going to be doing this with the new tight ends coach and Juan Castillo. How will that impact it? Well, we'll find out. But I think this is interesting that Gandy Golden will be moving there. And it's funny because a year ago at this time, I got a lot of questions from listeners and about would they move Gandy Golden to tight end? And the answer was no at that time. He was coming off a year where he had some injuries. They wanted to see what he could do as a receiver. So, and he wanted to see what he could do as a receiver. The guy that they wanted to move to a tight end last year was Kelvin Harmon. Didn't want to do it. Now, ironically, now that AGG is switching, it's Harmon who has had a good start to the offseason as a receiver. I've heard his name a couple of times come up from coaches just about like, hey, this guy has had, a good, has, a, has had a good spring. Again, all it means is he's had a good spring. Let's not get carried away. But I think, you know, what they like about him is he plays big and physical, starting to get some of that quickness back that they like. Not a fast guy, but that size can help him be a good target for Carson Wentz. So, you know, don't be surprised. Again, it's only May whatever, May 19th that I'm recording this. So don't be surprised if they once again keep seven receivers. But There's a long way to go, folks. And but like I said, it's just a guy whose name I've heard a couple of times. And now you have Gandy Golden going over to tight end. Um, and, you know, usually guys are going to switch when they think it's, you know, probably necessary to, to extend their career. Um, and so I think it's, it's a good try for Gandy Golden to make this move. And if he hits, it gives them another athletic tight end. As far as training camp goes, I told you this the other day. And while nothing is official as of now, I expect them to practice in an aspirin and no joint workouts. I think an issue in Richmond is how spread out everything is. I love Richmond. I think people there like going to Richmond, but they stay at a hotel downtown, take buses to practice, et cetera. If Washington ever goes anywhere under Ron Rivera, it would be uh, somewhere that's a little bit more isolated and more conducive to just kind of moving easily and freely from one building to another where you don't have to get buses to the facilities. Um, If that happens, if they find a place like that, I could see them going for now, expect them to be an aspirin when they were back when way back in the day, when it was the Redskins and you practice, they were at Carlisle, they were at Frostburg. That was players could walk, you could sometimes take a a cart, but you walking from the dorms to the fields, um, walking from the dorms to the calf to the door, you know, back to the dorms, etc. And I think it just develops a different level of bonding. Now, not that those teams were always great when they were in Frostburg, um, but I do think it develops a different level of bonding than if you're just busing. But, you know, in Ashburn, it's not like, you know, you're you're it's a spread out situation there too. So, but anyways, expect them to be there. As for the joint workouts, I think those are a good idea. Not sure exactly why they don't have any schedule for this year. It would have been Carolina because that's the first preseason game. I do think Ashburn is a tough place for it if you're an opposing team, there's a lot of value in those workouts. One thing Jack Del Rio told Julie Donaldson on Commander's TV is that the defensive back, the secondary, struggled with some of the with communication issues early because he didn't feel like everybody in the secondary had great attendance in the OTAs. Or, for example, Bobby McCain wasn't signed until later in the spring. Landon Collins was hurt. Um, they don't play their start much in the preseason. So one way to learn about guys is from practicing against another team. It's not a death sentence not having them, but I find value in them, especially with how teams have changed their preseason approach. And I would also say, too, if there are guys who are struggling with those communication issues, then perhaps, you know, what, what you have to do then is scale some things back early on. And I think they eventually did. And I think that's why for a, why they got off to a sluggish start. Their, their coverage was poor. Um, but I think also they turned things around in part because I do think they, the you know guys got used to some things, but they also tweaked what they were doing. And I think that helped as well. It'll be interesting to see how corner James Bradbury fares in Philadelphia. He's a damn good zone corner and the Eagles coverage splits are similar to those of Washington and New York when it comes to playing man and how much man and how much zone um, Bradbury, of course, played in New York. They recently cut him. Of course, the, uh, head coach here, Ron Rivera, had Bradbury in Carolina. I think a lot of it here, as far as Bradbury was, when um, that the feeling that they didn't want to tie up that $10 million in the cap um, as they negotiate with others for extensions. That money could be used to perhaps include some money now on extensions for this year, or it can be carried, or, or the, if there's extra money can be carried over after the season to create a little bit more room to keep some of these guys. Plus there's curiosity as to what Benjamin St. Juice can do as a third corner. And they I'm not sure that they felt like Bradbury was prohibitively better than what they had for what they're doing. We'll see if they're right. We'll see if the strategy is the right one. I would say that Darius Slay in Philly is a strong man corner. Some, so in some ways, it's an interesting pairing. Similar to what I would have said had he had Bradbury come here because William Jackson is much more of a man corner. Bradbury hasn't been a playmaker necessarily over the course of his career, but he is good. And I said this on last week's pod, on the podcast last week, but I like what the Eagles have done this off season. I do have questions about Jalen Hurts as a consistent passer, and I do wonder about their defense. Um, even though I think there's good talent there, I when they were building some of those impressive stats, they were playing really some really bad quarterbacks. So I wonder how much that impacted, and we'll find out, of course, this year. And that's why that third game will be um, an interesting one, or the, the early season matchup. Well, excuse me, I guess that's the fourth game, will be an interesting one. One guy I'll be interested to watch evolve is rookie safety, Percy Butler. I don't know if he'll be able to handle the third safety role right away or not. I do think he'll get there. In talking to people who know him well, he's the no-nonsense kid who doesn't think he's made it. And he comes you know, funny thing is he comes from the same area as Brian Mitchell in Louisiana. And one of the things that Brian Mitchell would always say is um, when he came here as a fifth round pick, he'd say what what separated him is a lot of people get here and think they made it. He goes, I didn't think I made it. And he worked every day like that. And I think if this kid does carry out that same mentality, then I think they'll be in really good shape. And by the way, that Eagles game is week three. So I apologize. I couldn't remember if they were week three or four and Dallas is you know in there as well. So there you go. Anyway, it'll be interesting to see how James Bradbury fares in Philadelphia. He's a damn good zone corner and the Eagles coverage splits as far as man versus zone are similar to those of both Washington and New York, where Bradbury played the last two years. And of course, in Washington with the, the head coach he once played for in Carolina. I think a lot of it here was the feeling that they didn't want to tie up even 10 million on the cap this year as they negotiate with others for extensions. And remember, it's not just McLaurin. It's also Deron Payne. It's also Cole Holcomb. You know, Antonio Gibson is going to be up in another year as well. That money could be used to perhaps include some money now on the, on the cap. If they wanted to bump somebody now, or it can be carried over after the season to create a little more room. Plus, There's curiosity as to what Benjamin St. Juice can do as a third corner. He was progressing when he started suffering all these concussions. My concern is how do the, you know, will he have that issue again this year? I don't like the depth at corner. I think they need more in in the secondary in general. So we'll see if the strategy is the right one. I also wonder what Darius, with Darius Slay, he's a strong man corner. So in some ways it'll be an interesting pairing similar to what, I would have said had Bradbury come here and paired with another a, a corner in William Jackson, who's much better in man, and was still learning zone when he got hurt last year. Bradbury has not been a playmaker over the course of his career, but he is good. And I said this on the pod, last podcast, but I like what the Eagles have done this offseason. I still have questions about Jalen Hurts as a consistent passer, and I wonder about their D and how good it is, I do feel like a lot of their really their numbers were kind of similar to what Washington did the previous year where you build it up against some very questionable quarterbacks. And how much of that factored into Philly's success last year defensively or how much of it was it just, hey, that's a really good defense. Well, I think we'll find out. And what we'll see here early in the season when the Eagles come here um, in week three, and and you know, I think it'll be interesting to see how that defense develops um, certainly going to be something to watch offensively with AJ Brown, Devontae Smith. And again, if Hertz develops as a passer, then they could be in a really interesting team next year. One guy I'll be to, interested to watch evolve is rookie safety, Percy Butler. I don't know if he's going to be able to handle the third safety role right away or not. I do think he'll get there and talking to people who know him, he's a no nonsense kid, who does not think he's somehow made it. Now, Go back to he's from Plaquemine, Louisiana, where Brian Mitchell's from. And the one thing I always remember with Brian Mitchell, and I talked about this like, you know, years ago, he was a fifth round pick. And some guys get here and think they've made it. Brian Mitchell said he when he got here, the last thing he thought was that he had made it. He felt like he had just got he had just begun. And I get the same sense with Butler. He goes to practice, goes home, studies his playbook. You'll have somebody quiz him over the phone about the playbook and about plays that happened in practice, etc., And he'll have, you know, somebody on their line will ask him to draw up some plays on a whiteboard, that kind of stuff. So he's really kind of getting into it. So I think that gives him a chance. One note is that his girlfriend stayed behind. They had the newborn child right after the draft. So but she stayed behind so he could dive into his playbook up here and really have no distractions, spend this time focused on football. She'll join him soon and I think he's everything says he's excited to be a dad, but right now I think he knows that to have a long a longer career, he could a good start would be, would be very helpful and I think there is I think they definitely are eyeing him for that third safety role, which means he's got a lot on his plate just to learn what he has to learn up here. Anyway, that's it from me. After this break, I'll be back with Zach Hansen, who coached Chris Paul at Tulsa and thought he was drafted way too low. Find out why.
1: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE.
0: Welcome back. Now here's my conversation with Zach Hansen. Zach, I appreciate you joining me. And so I want to ask you about a couple players and one of whom is a... Washington now rival Tyler Smith, but let's start with Chris Paul, whom the Commanders drafted. What you coached him for two years at Tulsa. So what what are they getting? What are they getting in Chris Paul?
1: I think Chris is an incredibly talented young guy. Um, you know, honestly, I think he's probably one of the biggest steals of the draft going in the seventh round. Um, incredibly diverse, can play guard, can play tackle, um, extremely smart. I mean, he's just, he's a one of a kind guy really. And, um, you know, I'm really excited for him. Why do you think he,
0: why why do you think he, what do you think teams overlooked maybe in him lasting to the seventh round?
1: Uh, you know, I'm I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I mean, obviously he's a, he's a really athletic guy. I think he ran like a four, eight, nine, 40 at 325 pounds, uh, very quick, good feet, all those things. So, I mean, I know they all have their process and, and uh, I'm sure they have their reasons for why he dropped that far. But, you know, it is what it is. I mean, he's going to make the most of that opportunity. Uh, I've, I've told him and I've told multiple people, I think that guy has the opportunity and the ability level to be a multi-year starter in the NFL. Um, based off the guys I've seen and been around and helped coach and all those things throughout the years, he just he's a really special one.
0: Who are some other guys that you would compare them to that you've coached that you say like, maybe were in a similar situation where they you felt they were overlooked or went on to have a really good career or something like
1: that? You know, I'm not sure even really overlooked guys. I I was around for um, Dalton Reisner. I was at Kansas State for a long time, so I was with like, I, Dalton Reisner, Cody Whitehair, who are both multiple-year starters in the NFL. Uh, I was able to be around Creed Humphrey at, at uh, Oklahoma. Um, you know, a handful <laughs> of guys throughout the years that were – were and are really high-end NFL players. And, and I think Chris has that same type of ability level. You know, a few of those guys might be a little bit more polished in regard to, like, knowing more football stuff maybe, um, just right off, the, right off the cuff. But he's a quick learner, and incredibly smart kid. And, um, you know, I think he's just really going to thrive in whatever, whatever uh, system gets thrown at him. So, um, you know, I, I just truly believe he's, he's got that high-end ability level.
0: What are some of those traits that he has that he shared with some of those others?
1: Uh, I mean, his foot quickness, his athleticism uh, is very, very impressive. Um, he's as quick and as explosive as any of the people I've ever been around. Um, I, I think the other thing, is just his, his ability to process information. He's incredibly smart. Um, you know, he, he was a cybersecurity major at, at right. Tulsa. And I uh, was working on a master's and all that stuff. So um, from a from a you know just straight IQ standpoint and all those things, he's he's incredibly incredibly smart and uh, you know able to make adjustments and all those type of things. And, and really, you know, he, he handles adversity really well. Um, you can coach him hard and, and kind of get after him, and, and it doesn't rattle him in games. And that's incredibly important as an offensive lineman as well.
0: Um, how many players have you had whose dream job was to be the secretary of defense?
1: (laughs) Yeah, there's not many, you know, it's kind of, uh, I I talked to Chris the other day and I said, Hey man, this is like the perfect scenario. You're in Washington, DC. I mean, you're right down the road from all the things you want to do in life after football and and all those things. And, you know, so we got a good laugh out of it, but, uh, he, he is, uh, he is one of a kind, man. He truly is. He's a really special young man. And, and, uh, He'll do great and whatever whatever he does after football as well, but I think he's got a long career ahead of him in football.
0: You talk about overcoming adversity. Were there some times where you'd see that with him? Like was there an example of something, whether it's tough practice, tough game, tough moment, that you felt like he handled it really well?
1: Yeah, I mean, there's a lot, man. I mean, I, I could sit here all day and talk about it. Um, um, I think one one that kind of stands out and it kind of goes to his versatility, you know, when I got to Tulsa, he was a left guard. And that's all he had played in in college. And um, I decided to move him to right tackle uh, because it was what was best for our our unit and our team at the time. And and really for him too, I I told him at the time, I said, Hey man, this is really going to help you uh, in your NFL career. I know that's what you want to do. Like they're going to want to see diversity in your game. So I'm going to move you from the left side to the right side, move you to the tackle. Um, And, you know, he handled it great. There was a little bit of hesitation at first, but I mean he he jumped straight in and, and really started going to work and, um, you know, he worked his tail off to make, make himself a really good right tackle for us. Um, you know, so that was one that was a right when I first got here, got a new coach, got a new position, trying to prove yourself, all those things. And, and, uh, you know, just battling through that adversity. Um, but the, you know, there's some other times too, in games where somebody would go down, somebody get dinged up, somebody would have a cramp or something, and I'd have to move him to left tackle or move him to left guard. And, uh, and he could just handle it, you know, and not a lot of guys can do that. And um, and he didn't he didn't complain about it. He didn't say anything. He said, "Let's go. Like I'm ready to go. Let's jump in and, and do it." And so uh, you know, there's a, there's a hundred stories I could tell you like that about Chris, and, and that's the type of guy he is. So, you,
0: and you with going back to the the, the brains aspect, because as you know, like there there can be guys who are really smart who it doesn't translate to the field. How right. does it translate to the field for him?
1: You know, I think uh, he does a really good job. He's uh, he's a, a note taker. Um, he's a guy that he's really going to be listening and hanging on every word you say in that meeting room. And, uh, you know, I have, I've, I've spoken to the O-line coach at with the commanders and, and kind of conveyed that to him as well. And He, he really is a, a great young guy to coach because he listens in the meeting and he, he takes it to the field and translates it to the field. And, uh, he's really good. Like, uh, even in game, if you make an adjustment in game, he's got it, you know, and, and, uh, really without any hesitation. I never have to worry about him. I was really blessed. I didn't really have to worry about either of my tackles throughout the whole season. Um, so, you know, those, those guys were really both just great players. and, and uh, But Chris was the guy kind of leading the show for us too. I mean, he was the leader of our group. And, and uh, all that all that came from his confidence in his play.
0: Yeah, he definitely, he definitely seems like an outgoing kid and a very confident kid. I mean, I think there's a lot that he has going on with the music. And also yep. like, you know, the, the post-career aspirations. So he does seem like a confident young man.
1: Yeah, you no, know, he absolutely is. And, and uh, you know, it's, he, he's really amazing. Um, how, my, how many, how many things he was really able to juggle and all that. I know that was a concern for some guys coming out, but it's, yeah. it's something that uh, he's just able to do it. And instead of taking his time, taking naps and doing the things like most normal college kids did, he took his time, he was playing ball, take care of his body and, and trying to, um, really get the full college experience and come out as well-rounded as possible. And so I, I have a ton of respect for him, for, for all the things he was able to do and do all of them at a really high level.
0: You, you listen to his music?
1: I have listened to all his music. I've been to his concert. I've been to, I've been to a bunch of things. So he's a, he's a special young guy to me.
0: What kind of entertainer is he on stage?
1: He's a, he's a great entertainer on stage. A lot of energy kind of gets everybody into it i mean the the more you get to know chris the more uh personality will come out um i I think it'll be really fun to watch him in the nfl as he as he kind of continues to make his own name and and uh see how see how the fans and how the people respond to him
0: did you see a different personality on stage or was that who he was when you saw him in the like in the meeting rooms and all that
1: uh he's he's got he's got a little bit more personality when he goes on stage I think you know I think that's a a release for him a little bit you know he can be just real be himself you know and and uh really just kind of cut loose up there
0: did he surprise you like with the music did you I mean was that a surprise to you when you first heard about it or saw him or anything or
1: yeah, I think it's it's a surprise to everybody. I think you know, as football players, uh, it's usually not like a normal thing, you know. But the more mm-hmm. I was around Chris, the more I realized like this dude ain't just like a normal player. You know, he's like he's involved and in, he's the president of SAC for the conference. Yeah. He's a musician. He's a great student. He's a great player. He's the leader of the team. He he's he really was like. Um, he, he's probably the most unique player I've ever coached in that right. regard. And uh, like I said, man, I, just, I got a lot of respect for him because I think back when I was a player his age, you know, I was spending my time with ball and, you know, grinding my way through the classroom and, and working on my body and doing all those things. And I'm like, shoot, man, this guy's doing 10, 10 times more things than I was doing. And he's and excelling people, probably more than I was. <laughs> you I think know? that most so.
0: people were doing at that age. Certainly, I, I yeah. mean, I know I wasn't doing any of that.
1: 21-year-old dude, you know, yeah. and uh, so he, he really is incredible.
0: As a player, would you describe him still as a little bit raw at right tackle?
1: Yeah, you know, there's there's always things he, he's got to work on, just like everybody. Um, you know, I, I really think he could go in and be a day-one starter. I really do. Um, at guard or at tackle, I think he's probably more suited as a guard, but I think that Washington probably saw him as a guy that could do a lot of different things, and that's the appeal for him. You know, and that's kind of what I told him when we when we started this thing. And and um, I said, shoot, man, you, just, you if you have this versatility, you, you're going to have to get kept around, you know, and you have a body type and you have the athleticism and the, the brains and ability to be able to do that. And you're really blessed to be able to do that. So um, I usually teach both my guys to go right and left. So, again, give them versatility, but to be able to play guard and tackle. And I really I mean, if you teach them how to snap, that do can play center, too, I think. And so uh, he's, he's really an intriguing prospect, I'm sure, for, for uh, Washington.
0: Last thing on him, then, what would be one or two of the things where you'd say, okay, you know, he probably has to work on this to reach the level that you feel he can?
1: Yeah, I think it's just like the, the initial He's such a strong and powerful kid, translating all that over onto the field, I think is the number one thing. And, and it's in there. He has it in his tank. Um, it's just being a truly, like, dominant player in the run game. Um, and, and he's very aware of that and he knows that. and So the coaches and, and that's something they're going to get out of him, you know. And, and so I'd say that was probably the main thing. Uh, but again, I mean, he, there's games he would just go on and take over. And, and that's why he's where he's at right now.
0: So another guy, the last guy I want to ask you about is Tyler Smith, because going to the Cowboys in the first round, I also know that this team really liked him because I actually asked somebody here, like, hey, what do you, what do you think about Tyler Smith? And the response back was, shh. Because they didn't want like anybody get it, you know. I think they everybody hoped to keep him a secret going in this draft. What do you? What can you tell us about him? And what is, What is Dallas getting in Smith?
1: Yeah, I think everybody was hoping that he was going to go the third round. Um, <laughs> anybody who's been around Tyler and watched that kid play football knows that he's a first round draft. But uh, he, he's he is the most talented person I probably have ever been around. Just God given ability, you know, and and a special young guy. And that's saying a lot because Chris is a heck of a player, too. You know what I mean? And both those guys, man, I just I think their their ceiling is so high. Um, Tyler's still he just turned 21 years old. He's still a young guy, uh, but an incredible talent. Um, Great young guy. Uh, I think the Cowboys got a great one.
0: What is it? What stands out about his game? Uh, There's
1: not a lot of college football players when you turn on their tape that they drive people off off the screen. And, uh, and I think that's the biggest thing with Tyler is, is he does that every single rep. Um, he comes out and he's trying to hurt people. And, and he has incredible strength um, and, you know, like, and flexibility and strength and all those things together. Big people like him shouldn't be able to bend and do the things that he does. And, uh, and that, that's why he's a first-round draft pick. I mean, he is, he's got all the tools to be an elite, maybe Hall of Fame player. Mm-hmm. Um, if it yeah. all works out and you we know that that's a lot it's big right. big shoes to fill a lot of things to say about somebody but um, he's got that ability level and I'm, I really do think he does
0: so did you like because again you're right when I talked to people about him especially people who liked him like initially it was thought well he'll be he might be a third round pick and the more I talked to people who watched him they're like there's no way he's lasting that long like they didn't think that Washington at 47 they might be too late for him so when did you feel like he might be in that first-round range based on what you'd hear from teams?
1: Immediately. I mean, okay. I, you know, um, I, there was some, he, he, I got everything from seventh round to first round. And, uh, seventh round? Yeah, I mean, this is like throughout a year process of guys coming in. And, you know, well, he's still young, he's raw. And, you know, and, and I'm like, yeah, I get it, but I also know what you <laughs> look for. Yeah. Uh, I've seen guys get taken in the first round that probably weren't like the most polished guys and all that. Um, and, and I really, like I said, I've been around a lot of second round draft picks and they aren't even close from a natural ability standpoint. They're probably more polished. Um, but Tyler's ability level is just off the charts and he's everything every NFL team wants in regard to um, the physicality they bring to the game and the uh, the mentality that he plays with. And so, um, you know, I, I really went when he was when he declared uh, and even before that, I told him, look, man, like before I left as only your bottom gonna your bottom's gonna be a third round but that, that's probably the lowest you'll potentially go so if you're good with that then maybe that's where you maybe you should go get drafted you know and and uh, I truly felt like that was the lowest you possibly go third round there's no well, way
0: last thing on him where or what is it that he would you know that, that maybe held some teams back from thinking automatically first round is there an area that you say like he's got all that talent? but he's got to work this to get to that level.
1: Yeah. I mean, the small technique and fundamental things, you know, he, he was, uh, when I was at Tulsa, he had three years left with us at Tulsa. (laughs) So, um, he was in college for three years. He redshirted and played two for me. Um, and, uh, you know, so he's still learning, he's still growing. Um, so he's still got to work on his hand placement. He's still got to work on a lot of little technique and fundamental things, but, From that from the athleticism and strength and agility and toughness and all those other things, man, he just he's different than everybody else in that draft. I mean, that is really what it comes down to. He wasn't as polished as some of those guys. But when you really look at the raw ability factor, he's off the charts.
0: Zach, I appreciate your time and your insight. Thank you very much. It was great.
1: Yeah, thanks, John. I appreciate it.
0: That's it for this episode. Thanks to Zach for joining me. He was out on the recruiting trail for USC, so I appreciated him tuning in or calling in. And thank you, as always, for listening. I'll be back with my old pal, Doc Walker, Sunday night. Doc was fired up, man. Talk to you next time.